All right, welcome to this episode of Whiskey and Wealth Tech. I'm your host, Alex Sermon, Managing Director here at First Rate. And today I am joined by Pete Baksh from uh, First National Bank of Mount Dora. Pete, thank you for uh, joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. So um, we'll go ahead and just dive right into the whiskey. We've got a, a very interesting one. Uh, this episode. So we are jumping into the compass box, the story of the Spaniard. So you can see the bottle here. It's got a really cool uh, artistic label. Most of the compass box uh, whiskeys do. Um, but this is a blended malt scotch whiskey. So it's a little different. Um, so if you're familiar with single malts, blended malts, um, instead of this being from one distillery, this is actually a blend of whiskeys from uh, several different distilleries all around Scotland, but all malt whiskeys, so no grain whiskeys, anything like that. Um, but with that, let's uh, let's give it a taste, Pete. Uh, that sounds like a plan. Cheers. Cheers. That's really nice. That's um. So it being called the story of the Spaniard, this is uh, a mix of whiskeys that are typically finished in Spanish wine casks. So pr primarily different kinds of sherry, things like that. And so like a lot of sherries, I'm eating a lot of raisins, dried fruit, um, but really complex. Yeah. You know, I, I really love the way that, that the flavor profiles roll one into the other. This starts out nice and spicy. You feel it in your mouth and then it kind of rolls into a more I don't know, there's a Swedish vanilla kind of tint that I'm getting. And, you know, I know we have a different batch, so it might be be adding to that. But mm -hmm. um, then it finishes with almost a tartness. And then at that point is when I'm starting to feel the burn, which which is kind of cool that it just creeps up on you as as these flavor profiles layer over one another. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I um, usually with these kind of sherried whiskeys, it's like pairing this with chocolate is good. But I don't know with this one, it's um, so complex. I think, you know, being uh, a little traditional as they do in uh, Spain, pairing this with some Hamani Barico, uh, this might, uh, that might be a perfect uh, addition to uh, sipping on this. But um, one of the things uh, that's really unique about Compass Box um, and just about this whiskey in general is that they are extremely transparent with what they put in the bottle um, to the point that on a batch by batch basis, um, as the blends change, they'll update their website and allow people to do research on what's available. So Pete, uh, yeah, something you like this. The yeah, you know, and it's, it's great. They give you these charts, uh, you go online and you can tell exactly what's in there and, and, and in each blend and it's in proportion, uh, it gives you kind of the story of how things are going to unfold for you. It's pretty cool on their website. Yeah, I mean, mo most distilleries are not that uh, in-depth, and most whiskey drinkers aren't that in-depth, but you and I are not uh, your average whiskey drinkers, so that. <laughs> I know uh, I know you and I appreciate that kind of thing, and that really uh, blends well into our episode today, because I know you're um, a very research-focused guy, you're really into data and analytics, and so I think that'll play well uh, into our episode today, so... Um, Pete, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you get started in the industry? I know you have a unique story that I think uh, people will really find interesting. 
Yeah, you know, it's it, it is an interesting story. It's a little bit off the beaten path. Uh, I was in college and doing unrelated sales work in, in, in a different industry and actually answered. This is how long ago it was. I'm dating myself, but I answered an ad in the paper uh, and, and met some people. And, you know, they turned out to be a, a trading firm and, and there, there was a stock brokerage attached to it. And it was suggested to me, you know, I was studying at the time physics at UCF, and it was suggested to me that they were looking for people like me, and it might be a good idea to just make a jump and, and, and join the business. So uh, I actually, at that point, left school early, joined this firm, worked my way up over the years. You know, this was back in the very late 90s, right as it was turning into 2000. And over the next few years, worked myself up to a director of trading position in an equity market making firm where, you know, we were taking orders from other broker dealers and taking positions against the customer order flow uh, as a wholesaler. And, and that was an incredibly fun line of work. I did really well there. Uh, but then 2008 happened and I found myself with, with the firm closed down. I was an unemployed trader with no education in competition with everyone else on the street who had a lot of education. And I had to go back to the basics, went back and got a degree over at the University of Florida. I got my bachelor's, uh, then went for the CFA designation, uh, which, you know, is the gold standard in the portfolio management field and rebranded into that. Trading wasn't coming back. The robots and algorithms had taken over. Uh, and, and I needed to do something a little longer time frame. So uh, eventually I wound up back at the Kelly School of Business in Indiana getting an MBA and believe it or not, uh, likely to go do a doctorate as well. Uh, my end game is when I retire from finance to wind up teaching, uh, you know, in my so-called retirement. I don't think <laughs> someone like myself is ever going to retire to go play golf or do something like that. I want to be a part of the community. So that is kind of my story. Um, as far as the First National Bank, that was luck. I networked into this role, um, you know, came in at a very junior level 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago. And uh, here I am, I'm the chief investment officer and, and, and we manage about a billion dollars in client assets. That's private clients in, in the trust world and institutions as well, hospitals, schools, charitable organizations and things like that. And we do things differently. Um, you know, we manage individual stock portfolios, individual bond portfolios, whereas everyone else is outsourcing investment management, we're insourcing it. Mm -hmm. You got a little bit more than you asked for there, but uh, that's me in a nutshell. No, that's fantastic. And I mean, you, you know, it's, it's amazing to me. It's like just how much of a leap you made and how successful you've been with that leap going from studying physics to trading to going back and getting your education and now being extremely successful in what you do. Um, it's pretty inspiring. And so, uh, you know, that's amazing. And that's uh, exactly kind of the the types of things that we're, we're looking for. And so, um, and so you have your own podcast. So today you're our guest, but you, you have your own of Market Mondays. And so would you mind uh, talking to us a little bit about kind of what your podcast is, what you do, what you uh, want your listeners to get out of it? Sure. So, so Market Monday started, uh, and and by the way, when you say podcast, mine is nothing compared to what you're doing over here. Uh, you don't even see me in mine. Um, you know, I, I that's going to get rectified. We're evolving, but uh, we soon will be worthy of that title. I think right now it's more of an informational uh, thing, whereby we get our market views out to the clients. So. 
So I'll do those every other Monday. And, you know, we're, we're looking into the Bloomberg to, and, and essentially, you know, the viewers get a shot of the Bloomberg screens that I'm looking at. And we we're very heavy into the economic data and how that's going to drive uh, the macro world that drives asset prices. And to give you kind of an example, uh, in the latest edition, which was just a couple of days ago, uh, we were talking about how CPI, which came out today, you know, the consumer price index, uh, and then PPI tomorrow, uh, are are going to have an interplay that allows us to understand what's happening with corporate margins. So, uh, you know, for instance, if the consumer prices are rising at a quicker rate than producer prices are, that means that sales prices are rising faster than input costs, which means that profit margins are increasing across the broader market, and that should be bullish for equities. So we explain things like that to clients, uh, what these relationships are. Uh, what does the non-farm payrolls number coming mean if it beats or if it comes in low? What does that mean to whether we're going into recession or whether we're going into, you know, another leg of uh, an economic expansion instead that the Fed might not actually want to see right now uh, and have to jack up rates? So we're talking about how all these puzzle pieces fit together uh, to answer the big picture questions. What's the environment look like? And then we delve into, you know, what is the S&P 500 doing as a proxy for the market and what are happening with interest rates? along with anything that might be, you know, a salient point, like the war is going on overseas, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's a ton of information that you're looking at being able to help make decisions on. And, you know, as you, as you pointed out, helping your clients make more informed decisions with their investments. And so this is something that, you know, you've got on YouTube, people can go and watch it um, and really just learn and be, uh, you know, bettered for having uh, seen, uh, what your your insights and kind of um, how that market is moving and, um, you know, kind of having somebody do that that research on their behalf a little bit. But um, this kind of leads into the one of the questions I had was, you know, how do you uniquely serve your clients and kind of and you mentioned, you know, this um, talking about having the separate portfolios for equities for fixed income. So kind of what drove you to that decision and did that drive you to make the podcast or is it kind of. Uh, you know, what, what's that relationship look like? So, so that's an interesting question, especially that tail end. I'll start there because uh, the link between, you know, what we're doing in Market Mondays versus uh, what our value proposition is for the clients, what we're doing there. Uh, you know, a lot of times we'll get questions, you know, well, what happens if, you know, so-and-so is elected and the other one is not? Or what happens if this particular number comes in like that and, it, and there's a lot of misinformation from the media mm -hmm. where, you know, they're pushing in essentially what I view as an agenda. There, there's a point of view that's being sold on the news. And instead, we, we think that the clients ought to take a data driven approach. Look at what is the market actually telling us? I'm not really concerned with what a, a media personality is telling us. I want to know, you know, what is the actual data telling us? And, mm -hmm. and we are going to make our decisions based on the data. And how that and, and and so we're getting that point across through Market Monday. That's our value proposition, actually, and why we do things in an individual portfolio. So, you know, to come to the first part of the question, everyone, or I shouldn't say everyone, but most of our competition in this space is outsourcing the investment management function and the research function. They're looking to aggregate client assets into one unit there, one pool, and then manage it and manage the relationship and let other people worry about how the money is being managed. So, you know, it's cheesy, but I'm going to give you a tagline that we give our clients. And, you know, we're on Donnelly Street in Mount Dora, Florida. It's a small town northwest of Orlando. And 
I'll say to the client, look, you, you, our investment decisions are not being made on Wall Street. They're not being made on LaSalle Street. They're not being made on Market Street. They're being made right here in this building on Donnelly Street. And, you know, people eat that up because they know it's right here. We are building the portfolio tailored to their needs and we're doing it in an independent fashion. So so that's really the, the crux of it. And the way that's done, kind of the secret sauce, uh, which isn't any secret. You know, there's a thing called modern portfolio theory, which came out. And the, the papers were written on that in the 1950s by Harry Markowitz. So it's still mm -hmm. modern portfolio theory. Um, you know, I don't feel so modern and I was born in the 70s. But, you know, looking at it like that, uh, the theory is, and this uses uh, a very not complex, but an intense mathematical process to optimize uh, trade-offs between one thing or another. And in this case, in our portfolio right now, we have 57 different stocks in our stock portfolio. So we're optimizing. We're finding the optimal amount of each ingredient that's in there that minimizes the amount of risk that we're taking for the return that we're targeting. And by doing so, we deliver a lower volatility than the market, but an in line with the market return. And generally, our clients as a trust department want lower volatility. They, they want the safe stuff. So uh, what we're doing is providing protection in the down markets. We want to lose maybe something like this when we're wrong. And when we're right, we want it to look like that. And the mathematics themselves take care of uh, performance, at least keeping pace with what would be expected. Uh, and, and, and then we're left to figure out how to achieve the client's goals. So it's our job to say, well, the client is here and wants to get there. How do we best do that in an optimal fashion without taking undue risk? That's great. And um, so it sounds like, you know, your clients get a lot of specialized attention, kind of bespoke service um, that uh, other folks may not be providing. And so with all of this data, with all this analysis, um, you know, it that is really you know propelling you guys in what you're doing and uh, allowing you to, to do the things that others aren't, um, which is an amazing value proposition. Um, and so with all this data, you know, you're mar you're monitoring what the market's doing, what trends are going to look like, kind of forecasting kind of how the future is going. And so uh, to put you on the spot a little bit, um, you know, what what do you think the the next biggest trend is is going to be in the market? I know, you know, a lot of people talk about AI, direct indexing, ESG. I know a Wall Street Journal uh, article came out uh, this week about ESGs, the, the newest corporate, a bad word in corporate America. Um you know, things like that. So kind of interested in what your take is like, what's the, what's the next biggest thing, or is it something that nobody's talking about right now? You know, it, it's an interesting question and, and, and I'm not sure there's an answer. I want to preface everything I'm about to say with a firmly held belief. Well, two of them, first of all, nobody can accurately predict anything really well uh, mm -hmm. into the future. It's just a fact. There's nobody, myself included, that can do that. My job as a money manager is not necessarily to make great predictions. It's to position so that, you know, regardless of what happens, we had a, a, at least a reasonable outcome or a less bad outcome than what would be expected otherwise. But with that said, we do have to forecast. And, you know, in terms of the next biggest thing, um, it, it is funny you mentioned that the, the blowback against ESG, and, and I think that's going to continue because there was a certain amount of, uh, you know, that philosophy being pushed for many years aggressively by folks, including at the CFA Institute. And, and it became kind of mandated that, hey, you have to think this way 
when in reality, you know, when you look at the facts, the facts are kind of mixed. Uh, and our job as a capital allocator or investor is not uh, on behalf of clients is not so much to uh, stand behind various causes, whatever side of the aisle they're on. Our, our, our mission is really to maximize the, the value proposition of the clients. So we can't we can't really invest based on the ESG type considerations, uh, not to say that we don't have them. My group does have a socially responsible investment policy that we believe, you know, covers a lot of those bases. But the reality is we have to go where the money is going to be made for the clients. That's why they hired us. So uh, I don't think it's ESG. I, I actually think this blowback will probably continue. Uh, in terms of AI, AI is extremely promising. You know, there's a group I work with uh, in another capacity where uh, they're a trading firm. And, you know, I had a demonstration firsthand of what this chat GPT can do for a trading firm. And I watched somebody literally type a few sentences into that module there, into that box. And the, the machine spit out a perfect, you know, curve. It was a perfect option adjusted yield curve. And when you're looking at something that's that powerful, uh, you know, there's definitely potential there, but that might also be overblown. At the end of the day, the machine doesn't understand nuances and reasonings why certain things might be happening. Mm -hmm. Admittedly, neither do we all the time, but the machine is incapable of it. It takes an algorithm and says, okay, if this, then that. And then there's a series of nested statements like that. And that's how you get things like the flash crash that happened a number of years ago, where mm -hmm. everything just kind of cascades. So, you know, and that's how you get autopilot on Tesla going wrong and generating a big recall. And you, you really have to be careful putting too much faith into AI, but at the same time, you can't stay behind the curve on it either. So I think that's where it's at to answer your question. Absolutely. I totally agree. And, you know, we, we have our own AI that we we utilize with our clients. And so one of the things that I always say is that um, to kind of warn against over, uh, you know, over reliance on AI is that AI is really helps you uh, helps you enable uh, better decision making, but it doesn't make the decisions for you. So if you use it as an enablement tool, then I think you're doing it right. If you use it to replace, you know, the, your own thought process or your own procedures, then you're that's likely when you're going to end up uh, hurting a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, but thank you for that, uh, that insight. And um, kind of last question that I have for you, and this could be uh, personal, this could be work related, kind of, kind of up to you uh, on how you want to answer this, but you know, we're, we just kicked off the new year. So um, what are you most looking forward to in 2024? You know, there are a lot of different angles I could probably attack this with, um, but uh, that's a good idea. Hold on. Let me take a moment. <laughs> you can always pause to think with a, with a sip of whiskey. <laughs> you know, it's funny how clear everything becomes. Um, 2024 is going to be a very interesting year. We've come off of an extremely bullish market phase into the beginning of this year, uh, and it was unexpected. You know, we had all sorts of uh, bad news coming in. There was evidence that the economy is slowing, which is bad for corporate profits. There's an evidence that the economy is too strong, conflicting with that, which is evidence that, you know, says, hey, the Fed's going to have to continue hiking, even though that's not expected, which is also bad. Uh, you know, you've got wars raging around the world, serious wars and potential Paul hanging over Asia at the moment. And all of that stuff you would think would tend to depress asset prices in the markets just relentlessly marched up. 
and into the new year. And it's found some more footing again. That's the sign of a bull market. And, you know, when the market can shrug off the bad news and continue to go up and we have fears of a recession and it's justifiable. I mean, the Federal Reserve, they, the media is out there talking about how we're going to see a soft landing. And I'm going to quote that. Uh, the soft landing is actually, if you use the hard academic definition that's been in place for a long time, has happened once. If you relax that, there are a few papers out there that said it's happened more than once over the past like 60 years. And those don't give very good odds to the historical probability or, you know, situation of, hey, we're going to see a soft landing this time. If it's happened once over the past 60 years, over numerous hiking cycles, uh, I'm not going to put too much faith that we avoid a recession now, despite whatever's uh, talked about. So so we have the potential to, to see a recession. But with the equity market being a forecasting mechanism out, you know, the collective wisdom, the wisdom of crowds uh, a year, 18 months, two years out, it's entirely possible that that bear market in 2022 was forecasting the recession that we, we may or may not see this year. And so we might actually see the most interesting configuration, in my opinion, which would be a recession and a bull market existing in the same thing. I I'm interested at the possibility of that happening because it looks like it could. I don't give it high odds, but I do see some probability of it existing. And on the other hand, if there's a sell-off that gets us from 3.7% unemployment back to the natural rate of unemployment, which is around 5%, uh, mm -hmm. that would just be resetting the economy for a more sustainable path forward than it's been on since we recovered after 2020's crisis. Uh, so, so there are a lot of things in play. I guess the what I'm looking at, you know, 2024 is very exciting. There's so many variables and 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 things could go so many ways. And there are all these great minds are in this business. You know, the investment management field attracts a lot of very sharp people. If you're not staying up with your competition, you're going to lose. And so everybody's in there trying to figure out what's going to happen. And 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 it's just an amazing business to be in right now. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's going to be very interesting to see how this year plays out. Um, kind of, as you mentioned, seems contradictory that we could be in a, you know, a bull market and a recession at the same time, um, but it's not impossible. So uh, very interested to see how this year turns out. Um, interested to see how uh, Market Mondays keeps uh, keeps going. Uh, you know, now that I am a, a, a full-fledged listener, um, it helps keep me up to date on uh, how things are going. But uh, it's been absolutely wonderful talking with you today, Pete. I appreciate you uh, joining us on Whiskey and Wealth Tech. Um, for all of our listeners out there, if you've got any questions, comments for Pete, uh, please uh, feel free to ask us um, in the comments or, uh, you know, get reach out to us and we'd be happy to uh, answer that on our next episode and uh, get those answers there from Pete. But thank you for listening and uh, we'll catch you next time here on Whiskey and Wealth Tech. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here.